This is Shane Gibson's Sociable Podcast from ClosingBigger.net and Socialize.me. We've got a great guest on the show today, Danny Brown. Danny, thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me on, Shane. And I, for whatever reason, I never knew you also had the .me domain. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I noticed maybe I, I subconsciously got the idea from you at DannyBrown.me. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just like it's interesting to see you know uh, people that have that now. It's, it seemed to be a little niche one for a while, but it seems to have taken off, which is nice. It is, and people like it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, for our brand, socialized.me, and we're socialized communications, but we've got people calling us socialized me, <laughs> right. uh, which is interesting, but at least it sticks. They remember us. So Exactly. So for those of us who are, who are listening here, um, I've been following and connected with Danny on Twitter. We were trying to figure out, you know, sort of today on the call before we kind of picked up the program here when we first connected, but I believe it was, you know, Danny said back in 2009, I would say, yeah, probably some sometime around then via Twitter and I've been kind of in conversation since then. Um, to give you a bit of background on Danny, he's chief technologist at AR Company, which is providing data-driven business intelligence for today's social enterprise. Uh, he's also a multiple award-winning marketer and blogger, uh, and it's actually his blog is recognized as the number one marketing blog in the world by HubSpot. And of course, HubSpot is the leader in inbound marketing. Uh, and he's also featured in the AdAge Power 150 list, as well as Canada's top 50 marketing blogs. Um, he's also worked with some of the biggest organizations in technology, uh, digital, and uh, consumer, uh, including BlackBerry, British Telecom, Orange, Microsoft, Scotiabank, uh, and uh, literally a, a laundry list of others. So thanks a lot for taking the time out of what's probably your busy schedule here uh, to spend some time with myself uh, and our listeners. No, anytime, mate. And as I said earlier, I you know, really appreciate you taking time to, to chat as well. So anything thank you so this jumped out at me i know i got an email from you many months ago about a secret project uh and it was your book on influence marketing and um you wrote it with sam fiorella is that how i say his name um i think so you know what i've known sam for a while and i say it a different way every single time (laughs) great so influence marketing really kind of jumped out at me because it's um one of the things just from my perspective danny is you know i often say to my clients is Look, social media is not scalable as an individual or as an individual brand. You need the community and you need influencers if you really want to make this thing work. And so when I saw this title jump out at me, um, I really wanted to talk to you about it because it's one of the things that I still myself struggle to communicate the value of even to my customers or my audience. So tell us a little bit about the book and what made you guys want to write it. Yeah, it's... um I mean, both Sam and I have been kind of vocal in our criticism of uh, where you know, influence marketing is today, which is with the likes of, if you mention influence marketing to people, primarily you'll hear back, oh, you mean clout or cred or pure index, for example. Um, and and there's, you know, these platforms are fine for what they do, which, as we look at it, they're a very high-level introduction to people that could potentially be influencers. Um, but there's... A, you need to dive a little bit deeper and get really contextual um, if you want to, you know, drive any business success. Um, and we felt that influence marketing, because of this, it had lost a bit of its uh, meaning or its true meaning back from Dale Carnegie's days and then Dan Edelman with his, you know, celebrity endorsements, which was kind of the forerunner to influence marketing back in the 50s and 60s. Yes. Um, and, and it was really, you know, as marketers ourselves and trying to help clients that had, being unsuccessful, you know, using scoring platforms and trying to 
drive ROI from these uh, technologies, we knew ourselves that, that there had to be a better way of doing it. And so, I mean, we, we through legwork, through our own client work, through research, um, we, we sort of realized that the problem wasn't so much the, the technology, the problem was the focus. And at the moment, the focus is on the influencer. So it could be your popular blogger, your YouTuber, your you know popular Twitter, etc. But they aren't the guys that actually buy the product of your business. That's your customer. And without the customer, you know yourself, you don't have a business to start with. Um, so we sort of took influence and moved, shifted focus back onto the customer at the heart of the marketing circle and worked backwards from there. And that was really where the genesis of the book came from. Fantastic. So... If I'm a, if I'm a brand manager for I'll pick this off the top of my head because of course we're actively working with them but a, <laughs> a Ford dealer a Ford dealership and I'm in a I'm a mid-sized community uh, in Ontario uh, Canada and, and I want to know who my influencers are and, and how to connect with them so to speak um, in a meaningful way that's going to drive business um, what are the steps that you guys are suggesting that I take uh, in your book. You know, it's funny you mentioned Ford because that was obviously the your readers won't, uh, you saw your listeners won't know, but that was the reason I reached out to you because they found a great case study about uh, Lincoln Ford, uh, sorry, uh, Lebanon Ford. Lebanon Ford, Hanover. absolutely. Uh, and that that case study just flabbergasted me. It was great to see the smaller, you know, uh, dealers get that kind of success. Um, so thanks for sharing that with me. And I reached out to the guys and we, we got permission to use. But um, w- what we would suggest, and this is and this is one of the the methodologies we we share in the book and how to actually drive it. So instead of saying okay, the the traditional way would be to get some uh, carb carb uh, enthusiasts and hopefully get them in for a test drive and share their experience. And Ford uh, US has done that with tremendous success. But to get to the customer level. Uh, you need to understand who the customer is and at what stage of the purchase decision, uh, the, the purchase life cycle they're in, sorry. So let's say you've got a mom that's got two young kids, you've got a mom with a teenage kid, and you've got a, a, a mom that's got, or a parent that's got a, a, an access, accessibility problem, like a mobility pro, uh, problem. Each of these are Ford enthusiasts and they've, they've had Ford cars before but they've got very different purchase decision-making uh, pr- you know, processes. The mum with the two teenage kids obviously wants, um, would ideally have something that's got, say, two little video screens in the back to keep the kids entertained, uh, very driven by safety features, uh, whereas the, the, the mum with the, the teenage kid may be wanting to look at one that's, looking at a car, sorry, that's ideal for uh, first driving lessons. And you start to think, okay, what do I need for that? I don't want to get a big, huge family car. There's only myself and my teenage kid. My teenage kid's going to be using this car soon. So that's going to sort of drive some of my decisions. And the mobility, uh, the person with the mobility access has got, again, very different purchase uh, decisions that need to be made based on access to the car. Any bylaws like Vancouver or BC's got different bylaws from Toronto, from uh, Ottawa, etc. Um, so you have to take all that into consideration and you find out who would be influenced in their decisions based on, you know, on these choices. So for the teenager um, and for the mum with the teenager, you'd be looking at discussions and, and keyword discussions that, that go around, you know, driving lessons, uh, first, first uh, car for driving, that kind of stuff. That's just a really high level point of overview of it. Uh, the conversations based around the mum with the two young kids, uh, best video, you know, backseat, uh, car, blah, blah, blah. And that sounds wrong. That sounds really 
that could be a, a dodgy video uh, up on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you look at that title. But essentially what you're doing, Shane, is you're looking at the who the customer is and what conversations would be driven around the choices they need to make when it comes to purchasing that vehicle. Once you identify that, you can start you know, coming back the way. And like I say, you can identify the core three to four people that would help them make their decisions. So instead of it being the car uh, salesperson in a showroom, you've now got fellow moms that have got teenage kids. You've now got fellow parents that have got two toddlers, for example. You've now got um, physiotherapists that have helped other patients with uh, mobility issues, for example, find the best car for their needs. So now you're really starting to, to dive deep into what the customer needs are and who would actually be influenced that customer at any given stage within the purchase life cycle. So versus our, our social media rock stars, so to speak, uh, who live on social media, uh, we're looking for people who are true influencers within the community that happen to use social media, for instance. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's where the, the big issue is. And it's funny you mentioned social media rock stars. It's, they're great for amplification. And these would be the people we call macro influencers. So they have a, a large audience. They can certainly shift a message but they don't necessarily have any tie into the brand and they don't have any uh, real call to actions to drive purchase decisions. That would then shift over to the micro-influencers who are now the people that are your average uh, mom and pop uh, who are you know, just using Twitter or Facebook or whatever on a normal basis, but they're using it to speak with other parents and, and other specialists for their particular purchase needs. Fantastic, fantastic. So... We look at tools like a clout, for instance, like we talked about, a K-L-O-U-T, for those of you listening who might not be familiar with the tool, which is very algorithmic. Uh, that tool may possibly completely miss all of these types of micro-influencers, as you call them. Right, yeah. And, and you know, I think social scoring has definitely got its place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can certainly help you identify a great quote, uh, quote that we got from the one of the, the lead developers over at Peer Index, who's uh, you know within that sort of triumvirate of Clout, Cred, and Peer Index, he he said that if you're looking for say the top seventy thousand people that are talking about a, gen- a specific topic, then we're that company that can provide you that, and Social Score and Essential provide you that mass of people that you know that could be connected to your brand. However, if you're looking for the the six or seven people that are really, really driving the the decision-making process, whether it's like uh, lead generation, customer acquisition, et cetera, this isn't for you. You need to go deeper. You need to do legwork, and it's a far different approach. And so the legwork is really about getting to know your individual customers and 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 then working your way back. And are you suggesting doing this almost on the level of, like when you meet them, your your key customers to to interview them and get that information from them. And is it to monitor their behavior online and who they interact with? What are what are some of the approaches? So what we've um, we found is there's there's always sort of key personas around uh, a customer because it'd be impossible, and I wouldn't even like to think of the cost of the data you'd need, you know, to to identify each individual customer that you want to connect with Absolutely. but you can certainly create personas um, so you could say okay this is the, the the mom between 20 to 40 that's looking for xyz uh, and you can be, uh, use a, a crm platform like nimble for example um, where you can get this data about your customer database and they could be from your email list it could be from your previous customers you know on the shop front etc and you can have this one unified central database 
you then, this is when the, the text analytics side comes in, and you get really smart and use programs like uh, OneCube, which is over in uh, New York. They have just come out of beta with a really, really cool platform that I think is going to change the way a lot of people use social monitoring and social you know, CRM tools. And this is called uh, OneCube? Yeah, OneCube. So it's, it's uh, O-N-E-Q-U-B-E. Okay. It's from uh, Internet Media Labs. Okay, great. That's going to uh, be on my next list of sites to hit right after the call. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're excellent. The, um, I was messing about with the beta for the last few months, and they've just come out with a, a major update that's hopefully going to be launched this week for the public. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's scary, the stuff they do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, essentially looking at uh, um, using, you know, interconnected platforms. So it could be a, a Nimble or a OneCube for the CR, uh, CRM side. It could be a Tracker or Opinions or in-network for your influence monitoring tools. Um, and you, you're essentially working out, okay, we know who the base persona is. Um, what do we need to be listening to to actually, you know, connect with these people? And, and obviously, the more you use it, the smarter you get, and you'll, you'll be able to filter more who this persona is or who the person is based on the, the goals that you're looking for as a brand and where they are in the purchase life cycle. Because this is the part that, that most of the technologies, at least on the scoring side, uh, miss is they can't identify where the customer is on the purchase life cycle. Is it research? Is it brand awareness? Is it uh, looking for more information, pure, uh, pure and simple? Or are they actually near the, 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 the decision to buy? Um, in which case, it needs a completely different message from the original brand awareness or research message. So all these little you know, uh, intricacies all come into play, and you have to understand where the customer is within that uh, intricacy, and that will help you tailor the message, and there's various platforms that will help you do that. Great. Um, you, I'm looking sort of through your, your book outline here. Uh, the book, of course, comes out on May the 10th. That's correct, so yeah. important kind of date to, to – uh, and the Kindle version is already up and alive, for those of you who don't want to wait till May the 10th. Um, we look at the, the business-to-business and business-to-consumer, the B2B versus B2C – is it a significantly different strategy to um, to work this backwards for a B2B environment than it is a B2C environment? Um, ironically, no. Um, we, we did a, uh, we ran a survey just prior to the, the pre-order uh, promo that we did recently. Uh, we ran a survey back in February this year, and we got over 1,300 responses, and more than half of them were working in both B2B and B2C market, with about 30, 35% on focusing on B2B. Um, and essentially, I mean, because you're actually, you're not focusing on the influencer as much now, you're focusing on the customer, that customer can be anything. So it could be a donor for a non-profit. It could be a sales rep for a B2B you know, enterprise. It could be a tech support guy for the, the B2B um, organization. So th- there will be various nuances from a B2B conversation that it is you know, in a B2C conversation. But essentially, it's still sales. It's still getting someone to like your product enough to actually sign the contract. Um, and if you can identify who the B2B person is, and who they're immediately uh, speaking to, to make that decision, that allows you to really tailor your sales message. I'll, I'll give you a really quick example. Um, if you look at the smartphone market, it's, it's hugely competitive, obviously, and, and our own poor Blackberry is kind of suffering because of that. Apple and Android's really, you know, flown away now. Um, but if you look at someone that's looking to buy a smartphone, there's going to be uh, a, a ton of different people that can influence that decision. If you're looking to buy it from a business angle, 
Uh, it's going to be your colleagues at your office that help you shape it. Does the, the email sync up to the main server? Has it got security features linked in? Uh, linked into it. Has it got, um, you know, does it allow you to, to, to share files, etc.? So you're, you're driving that sales decision very much from a business angle in your office. If you're looking to buy the same smartphone for a family phone, your wife is probably going to have more say on it because now you want to be discussing other family plans, other limits. Can we uh, cap the amount that the kids use to access the internet, that kind of stuff. And then your final one is you've got the, the cool kids that just want to have a phone based on peer pressure. So I want to get an iPhone 5 because my friend's got an iPhone 5 as opposed to, say, uh, a BlackBerry Curve or an Android 2.0 or whatever. So now we come on to what apps it's got and how, how cool the screen is and how cool the, the interface is. So you've got three customers that all want to buy the same phone, but they've got very different business decisions to make and purchase decisions to make. So, I mean, really, if you can identify who the buyer is, regardless of what the scenario is, it, it pretty much tailors it to the same, you know, the same methodology. So where, the, where and who are they going to for their information to help them make that decision and that sale, that, that, that sort of phase of the buying cycle? So on the, on the actual, like, let's say, for example, the, the, the smartphone example I gave you. So you've got the, and this is another area where some of the technologies have failed in the past and why the newer technologies are, are, are much better placed, you know, to drive business results. Um, most of the conversations happen away from the public domain. So they don't always happen on Twitter. They don't always happen on Facebook or, or Google+. Plus. Or if they do, it's private updates between friends or closed communities or closed circles on Google+. Plus. It's happening on you know, um, Yelp review sites, etc. Um, so you need to be making sure that you're, you, what, the, the search dynamics you've got set up and the technology you use are able to, you know, to g g look at what's happening on the community forums, look at what's being discussed on Reddit uh, of the world, etc. And then the, the public conversations that are happening around that, you, you need to be you know, picking up exactly the, the core words. And, and the problem is that you can't just go with the generic keywords, I'm looking to buy an iPhone 5. Uh, I will share an example of uh, Telenor in the book, actually, over in the US, that was looking to you know, break into the smartphone market. But you need to be looking at, okay, what are the keywords based around these conversations? And it ties back to contract, for example. It ties back to AT&T and uh, uh, T-Mobile and who's the best ones for aftercare service, which ones have got the best collection of phones, etc. Once you start picking that information out, that's helping you create the persona and who's actually impacting a decision, you know, based on what's most important. Is it a contract plan? Is it data uh, pricing? Is it roaming pricing for when you're traveling abroad, etc.? So it sounds like content marketing also plays uh, a large role in this influence marketing aspect that you're discussing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't want to. I, I don't. I really don't want to just sound like I'm coming down on the scoring platforms because that's not the case. I just. I, I see they have one strength, and true influence marketing has another. But yes. content marketing plays perfectly into the the macro influencer level because that's ideal for getting a wider. You know, amplification of your message out to the the customer that really needs help in making their decisions. Um, and if you can identify the bloggers and the the video creators and the podcast uh, creators, etc., that are really driving uh, action after the the event, if you like, that's the guys that the the scoring platforms are great for initially finding, and then you use the the more tailored approach of something like a tracker who just released an update today actually to the platform as to who influences the influencers. 
So now you're really getting down to the, the nitty-gritty of what content needs to go out, where it needs to go out, and how you can start tracking that as to what's driving the most success for you. Fantastic. So if I'm a, you know what, if I'm a social media manager uh, within a company uh, and I'm tasked with you know, really implementing what you're talking about, obviously step number one is to buy your book. But let's say, after, <laughs> let's say after that step, uh, after I've picked up influence marketing, um, what are four or five key things that they need to focus on to shift the way they're using influence marketing to do it the way you're talking about? So I think the key thing, and I know we've spoken about this, is, is really focus on your customer and what their needs are and where they are at the purchase life cycle. That's so important because if you don't understand that, then you're really wasting a lot of energy trying to connect with them when they don't want to be connected with because they're just in the, the research stage, but you're trying to blast a sales message at them. So really understand where the customer is in the, the purchase life cycle. That would be the, the first step, and we show you how to do that in the book and what technologies are best for that. Um, create the right uh, campaign for that particular, you know, that message. Although, again, we're trying to move people and, and company. When I say people, I mean organizations and brand managers. Uh, we're trying to move away from the campaign mindset mm-hmm. and into a more longer-term, you know, yes. uh, study and relationship building of the customer brand, you know, relationship. So um, by understanding where they're in the life cycle, that allows you to now, you know, provide them the, the product and service information at a given time. And obviously, once they've made the purchase, then you need to switch over and really deliver solid customer service and after service and, you know, the, the normal business stuff that you should be doing, you need to sort of increase that tenfold because the goal is to keep the customer with you long term and not have to build a ton of short buzz campaigns to get the customer back on your side, if you like. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that turn, and you know yourself, Shane, um, that turns your customers into advocates, your action as a brand will turn your customers into advocates or customers of your competitor. Um, so that, that would be the third one, is you know, aim towards advocacy and how to keep that advocacy and obviously not use it to your advantage because that sounds really slick and sleazy, but to, to utilize the, the relationship that you have and make sure you're, you're using that to improve your products and services for your customer who in return is going to stay with your brand. So it's you know we could use we could use the word advocates uh, or in many cases in large enterprise selling and and large B two B social strategies, you're moving them from customers to partners. Exactly. And that's, and, yeah, so, no, for sure. I sorry. No, that's <laughs> yeah. okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, it works. I keep using the customer uh, life cycle, but the, it's the same thing. It's, it's if it's a client that you're working with, if it's a partnership. Um, anything like that where there's there's a connection between a brand and another brand or an organization and another organization's tech team, for example, it's building that solidified relationship to ensure that you know you've got the right people doing the right job and sharing the right message at the same time to drive sales success because that's what it's about at the end of the day. I, I think a lot of people think of influence marketing as you know getting a bunch of tweets about this cool test drive. Uh, test drive that you had in new Ford Focus, for example. And that's great. That gets you a lot of awareness, but awareness doesn't pay the bills. No. So it needs dollars in the door. And the, the fourth one is really measure. You know, it's, um, it's scary how many brands set out on a campaign, uh, whether it's an influence marketing campaign, a mobile ad campaign or whatever, and don't have measurement tools and success metrics in place. Because um, if you're not measuring, you're essentially just throwing money to the wind. You know, um, so A, measure the campaign to start with, 
but measure the impact it's having in the wider community. So that could be your customers, it could be your brand reputation, it could be how it's impacted your uh, competitor profits. Uh, and measure the right data that shows you, okay, this campaign, because we did X, Y, Z, resulted in this, and it really locked us into that community that we went after. This other campaign we did never had as much success because we, we didn't really follow a certain methodology or use certain technologies or whatever, and we kind of let that one slip a little. Um, so obviously the next time we, we go after that segment of our audience, we need to really lock down what we did wrong the last time. Um, so really, you know, make sure that you're measuring the right metrics and you're getting the success that you're after. Fantastic. Well, Danny, thank you very much for investing your time with us today. I know I picked up a lot from it, uh, and I can't wait to uh, order that book on May the 10th and get my hands on it. Uh, and I'll definitely, when we finally uh, connect in person here, hopefully my next trip to Ontario, uh, I'll get you to autograph for me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> that, that, that always sounds kind of weird. I was thinking of, uh, earlier this afternoon, someone uh, sent me a DM. Uh, we're at our same event, I think it's next month. And she'd ask for a, a signed cop, and I thought, that just sounds kind of weird. You know, it's just, <laughs> I'm old school. I'm old school. I do like the autographed <laughs> copies of the books. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if you want to learn more about Danny Brown uh, and his new book, Influence Marketing, you can go to dannybrown.me. Uh, you can also follow him at Danny Brown on Twitter. Uh, and is there anywhere else we should be connecting with you, Danny? Um, the, the book site, actually, we, we put a lot of case studies up there and a lot oh, of videos, etc. So you've got that. It's just called InfluenceMarketingBook.com. InfluenceMarketingBook.com. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Danny, for logging on with us today. No, not a problem, Shane. Like I said, I really appreciate it, mate. And it was good to finally catch up. Hey, fantastic. So this is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net and Socialize.me.